Welcome to the Family Worship Companion, supplementing your personal reading of Scripture with a Christ-centered emphasis and real-life application for every member of the family. It's good to have you with us today. Our chapter for this occasion is Genesis chapter 7. It gives to us, of course, the account of Noah and the flood. Noah is brought into the ark and God sends the deluge. We have some details of the resulting destruction. And really God is cleansing the earth in order that by the most minimal way he can repopulate it again. All sorts of questions arise when we read a chapter like this in the account of the flood. Many critics have suggested it is impossible All sorts of sceptics have used it as uh, grounds for their unbelief. The vast majority of the questions and concerns have been addressed by ministries like Answers in Genesis, and I can certainly recommend them to you. We are given a remarkably brief insight into what must have been a monumental task of organization and engineering as Noah seeks to harvest food for storage, as he seeks the skills necessary to build the ark, as there is the arrangements that need to be made for all of the animals, even the preservation of knowledge, all the acquired knowledge up until that point, and Noah's effort, no doubt, to try and preserve that for the future. So let's delve in a little deeper. Verse 1 brings us to an immediate invitation that we find throughout the Scriptures. God calls men to come, to come to him. In this case, it is illustrated by the ark. When God calls Noah and his family into the ark, it signifies to us, in one respect, coming into Christ, joining into him, believing in him. But also, in a certain sense, really the ark depicts for us the church, coming into the church. We know later that not all of Noah's family were truly and saved and genuine. And so, in one sense, really the ark provides that visible body where the people of God may be seen and gathered, but among them are those that may not believe as they ought. Verse 1 also tells us that as it would be for Abraham, so it was for Noah that his standing before God was based upon righteousness. For thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. And so Noah had imputed to him, received by faith alone, righteousness even the righteousness of Christ. Verse 5, Noah is diligent to obey God. Verse 7 is another reminder that Noah's success was limited to his wife, his sons, and their wives. Verse 7 through 10 tells us that all that Noah would need was contained within the ark, really signifying to us something of what the visible church should look like, that all that there is in the visible body of the church and all that happens within an obedient church, one that is in accordance to God's word, as simple as it may be, with the word, with the singing of God's people and of the prayers of God's people, as simple as it appears, that's all that is needed for life and godliness. Verse 16 gives a wonderful little line that tells us God shut Noah in, the Lord shut him in. And what's interesting here is What comes to mind for me is the idea of eternal security. God secures his people. And what this line tells us is it's specific to Noah. Now, is that indicating that only Noah truly had saving faith at this time? Perhaps. Whatever the case, God shuts him in, which is what he does for his people. They come in, 
They receive Christ and they are shut in. And the work that God begins, he will perform until the day of Jesus Christ. Verse 17 speaks of the flood waters bearing up the ark, which signifies to us something of what happens to believers in this world. We are in the church. We are gathered together in one place. But all around us, there are these storms. And the storms are actually used by God to bear us up. And in some ways, actually to lift us away from the world. This is what God does through the challenges and trials of our experience. All things work together for good to them that love God, Romans 8, 28. And so he uses it to conform us to Christ. And in that conformity to Christ, we've been taken away from the earth and towards heaven, setting our affections upon Christ where he is seated and, and so there's just some imagery here as to God using even his judgment to progress his people in their ultimate goal. So what about application? Well, first of all, the flood stands as an unparalleled event that is to exist in the minds of men throughout all of time to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ as a reminder of the folly of unbelief of procrastination and of rebellion against God. We are not to ignore or forget the flood. Its message is powerful to all but the most foolish. We are warned by the Lord Jesus Christ that Noah's generation did not expect the flood. Matthew chapter 24, he details that and it serves again as a warning. Secondly, like Noah, every one of us possesses a certain amount of influence upon others. So you parents, you have influence, of course, Upon your home, upon your children, you children also, you have influence, influence upon your siblings, especially the oldest of you. But we all, no matter what period of life we're in, no matter what our circumstances are, we exercise influence over and upon others, and it is to be used for the glory of God. Just influencing people for good, especially to a saving knowledge of Christ, but in other ways as well, serving as an influence upon our generation. Our families, our church families, our neighbours, our communities, wherever we're found, they need to know, Acts 4 verse 12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. This message must go out from us all. Third, I, I can't avoid asking this question, but simply putting it to you, have you come in to Christ? Not come into the church, you may attend, but come into Christ. Have you entered into the ark? You have to take that step. You can't stand and admire the ark. You can't stand and admire what has been provided. I think that's what some people do. Some, you children may do it. You, you admire the work of Jesus Christ, the wonderful display of the love of God, and all that he has constructed so that sinners might be saved, but you've never actually taken the step. You've never actually trusted in Christ. You've never turned from your sin and embraced Christ and said, not only is he the Savior, he is my Savior. Let me also speak a word to those of you that are guilty of trying to reframe your doubt in a pious way. Some that may be older watching on. You, you try to frame your doubt as if it is pious. I want you to apply that to those that watched Noah and stood outside the ark and said, well, I don't want to, I don't want to take up any space or assume there's a place for me. 
Uh, I think it's great what Noah is doing, and I, I would like to be a part of it. I would like to enter in, uh, but you don't. You're, there's an element of in which there's there's enough doubt there that keeps you from pushing in. And if you stay in that place, the judgment of God is going to wash you away. You're going to be overwhelmed in a flood tide of God's wrath. And there will be no recovery at that point. You must cast aside doubt as a sin and enter into Christ today. Fourth, we are reminded that even though Noah managed to influence his family and get them into the ark, as we will discover later, they were not all saved. So this is a reminder. Let me speak to you parents. Influence your children. Take them to church. Encourage them. Read the word with them. Pray with them. Do it every day. Constantly point them to Christ. But don't depend upon the things that you do. Get before God. Pray on their behalf. Seek for the work of the Spirit of God who alone can take away the stony heart and give them a heart of flesh. May the Lord help us to pray and trust Him to do the work that only He can do.